0: This year as a church, instead of going wide in our discussions, we're going to kind of stay narrow and and go deep. And that's why we're starting with this series, Digging Deeper. So I want to catch everyone up a little bit, just in case you missed last week, or if you were here last week, this will serve as a nice review. We looked at Luke chapter 6, verse 40 first. It says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone or anyone when he is fully trained will become like his teacher. So we introduce this idea of a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus and his teaching. A disciple is a follower of Jesus and his teaching. And although this word disciple is not exclusively Christian, Christianity has kind of commandeered it a little bit. And so a disciple is a follower of Jesus and his teaching. And Jesus introduces this idea that disciples need to be trained fully trained, that there's a process of being made into the image of Christ. We call this process discipleship. We gave this definition. Discipleship is a continuous process of gospel transformation where you become more like Jesus. A disciple a follower of Jesus and his teaching, discipleship is the process that a believer in Christ goes through to look more like Jesus. It's that training that Jesus was referencing. Now, I also brought this up last week. For me, when I talk about training, the easiest connection for me is sports. And so I brought up how when I was a freshman in college playing uh, college football, that I learned more about football in my three weeks of football camp than I had in my four years of high school football. Well, why? Because who was teaching me because of how they were teaching and simply the amount of time that we spent every day practicing football with no distractions. I made this comparison. If you take the amount of hours that I spent being trained in football and connect that to church, even if you have perfect church attendance this year, if you're here every week of the year, you'll get the equivalent of four days of football camp. I had 21 days. Certainly, it is more important that we are trained in following Christ than it is that we are trained in playing football or chess or gardening or whatever it is that you do. Now, this is not to say that hobbies are bad or sports are evil or that we need to go to church camp as adults for three weeks. It's just to remind us that Sunday morning is not adequate training. If you carry out the math, it would take five years of perfect church attendance to simply get the same amount of training as I did at football camp. And certainly, you will not retain information over the course of five years like you would in focused 21 days of something. In other words, we need to evaluate how is it that we're being trained, fully trained, as Jesus called it, to be disciples of Jesus, followers of him and his teaching. Now, in this, uh, or last week, what we also did is showed the process of how the gospel changes us or or how we grow up in our faith. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 said this. It still says that, actually. It says, just as you received Christ Jesus as your Lord. Well, how do we receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Well, by grace through faith. And so we become Christians by grace through faith. Ephesians says it this way, that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So grace comes into our heart through faith, and it changes us. Well, Colossians 2 teaches us, just as you received Christ Jesus as your Lord by grace through faith, so also then be built up. Grow up. What's it saying? It's saying this. The gospel is both what saves us and what grows us. That Christianity is always just going back to the gospel and understanding it more deeply. The gospel is not just what gets us across the line of faith, it's what moves us to full maturity. Is that another way you never outgrow the gospel? The whole point of, uh, of Christianity is for the gospel to continue to break in over and over and over and to root out that which is not of Christ and to deepen that which is of Christ. In this last week, I introduced step one of discipleship, which is to choose your teacher. Choose your teacher. And that's, of course, the first part of being a disciple. You got to decide, who am I following? And last week, I presented two options. You can choose to follow Christ and his teaching, or we can choose to follow ourselves, the world, any other type of teaching. The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament gives a a picture of what either choice looks like to the choice of following ourselves as teacher, being disciples of ourselves or disciples of the world or disciples of anything other than Christ. The physical picture he gives of it is it's like a shrub in the desert. Nothing good will ever happen to it it'll dry up. Who wants that life? Who wants that to be the position of their soul? On the other hand, Jeremiah says, if you choose to follow Christ and his teaching, you'll be like a, like a tree, like a happy tree planted by water. You'll have everything you'll need for life and sustenance to fully grow. That's the picture Jeremiah shows of us or shows to us. I tried to make it clear last week. It's a pretty clear choice. Happy tree, cursed shrub. Disciple of Jesus, disciple of anything else. So if you pick this one, okay, well then, how do I become fully trained? Step two of discipleship, understand the teaching. Understand the teaching. Or said another way, understand the gospel understand the gospel. How does this happen? Well, I brought up, we didn't have this image last week, but you do this week, and just kind of the process that we laid out, that through the word of God and prayer, the gospel breaks into our hearts, and then it produces on the other side whole life transformation. And I just brought up a couple of areas, spiritual, relational, emotional, financial, physical, On how, when through the word of God and prayer, the gospel breaks in, it's to produce something different on the other side. Some people call this a kingdom perspective. The way we say it around here often is, it's just the gospel changing you. And so as the gospel comes in, it produces something different out here. You view all of those five things differently because of the gospel. So this is the process that we're on. This is a process that we want to explore and, and kind of discover this year together. Why? So that we might all be disciples, followers of Jesus and his teaching. This week, I want to dig deeper into that second step of discipleship, understanding the teaching or understanding the gospel. In order to do that, we're going to look at a New Testament story in the book of Acts chapter 8 that is... Two characters in the story. Now, I say characters, but they're real human beings. Two individuals in the story and the interaction that occurs between them. One character or individual is a guy by the name of Philip. Another one, he's not given a name. He's just the eunuch. And Philip is a man who was introduced earlier in the scriptures, and I believe it's Acts chapter 6. And Philip is given an early job in the church. He's kind of promoted as a spiritual leader in the church. He was promoted because he was full of the Holy Spirit, because uh, he was wise, because he had a good reputation, and he's given a very important job. You know what it was? Cleaning tables and serving food. One of the first leadership positions in the church. It's in part where we get our line around here that real leadership serves people, That was what Christian leadership was all about. It's what it is all about today. And so Philip was given this early leadership position in Acts. And then later in Acts chapter 8, I won't call it a promotion, but he's given a new responsibility. And he's directed by the Holy Spirit to go from where he's at to this very specific place. The specific place is toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. The writer tells us it's a desert place so he rose and he went. Philip responded to the Holy Spirit, which as Christ followers, we should always do. When the Holy Spirit calls us to something, we should just respond. So he rose and he went. And when he gets there, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Apparently, the author thought it was very important to describe this individual in these ways This guy's importance. He's got an incredible job. He's a successful professional. He's in charge of the entire treasury of the queen, and he's traveling back from just being in Jerusalem, we're told, where he worshiped. Now, we don't know why an Ethiopian is going to Jerusalem to worship, but what we do know is what he was doing on his way back. Now, as I was reading through this text and chatting with it through, uh, through it with a couple of other people, uh, it reminded me that oftentimes we don't know what prompts people to something, but we can see the effect of that something on them later. Let me explain it this way. So early on in my ministry career, I think I was 22 or so at the time, I was in student ministries and I approached my boss at the time and I said, hey, I think I'm ready to lead one of our trips. And I thought that I was going to have to like sell him to like, you know, let me lead one of the trips. And he said, no, I think you're ready too. I said, awesome. He said, I want you to lead our trip to Florida. I said, I'm in, I'll do it. Great, cool. I found out later on the 24-hour bus ride down why he was so quick to opt out of this trip and put me in charge. And so we go down uh, to Panama City Beach where there was this church trip. Now, you never knew what drove students to go to camp. They wanted to be away from their parents for a week. They wanted to get to the beach. There was somebody else that they liked that was going on the trip. Who knows what the motives were? One particular year, there was a... That first particular year, actually, uh, there was a a set of twins, right? And these boys went to camp, and uh, we were on our way down on the 24-hour bus ride, and their mom had given them money for meals all throughout the week. They spent all of it before we even got there. because we had to buy their lunch all week? Me. It's perks of being a youth pastor right there. I don't even know if I got to expense that. And so we... Taking them down and, and I think it was like five hours before we get into Florida. They, everyone was asleep all over the bus. They had bought an ice cream, of course, at the gas station and their ice cream went onto the floor and began to melt. And, um, there was a young lady that was lying on the ground. She's actually my sister-in-law now and lying on the ground and the ice cream just melted all in her hair. Okay. So she gets up, long blonde hair, just ice cream everywhere, right? no idea why those boys went to camp. But on the way back, or on the way back, I walked back to the back. And there are the twin boys with their Bibles open, talking about scripture. They'd exchange the ice cream for their Bible. And they got five or six of them sitting around. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? I don't know why they went, but I know what happened when they were there and what it looked like on the way back. And there are these moments in our lives when something triggers again, when when our hearts become alive again, when when this passion begins to grow again. And for some of us, maybe it's been a long time. Maybe it's been a long time when, when, when you were at the place where you're like, I just need more. I just need to get back in. I just need to read it. Like, I just want to talk about it with someone else. I just want to know what you think about this text. I just want to see God's love. Maybe it's been a while. But like the eunuch, like those twin boys, like many of you at certain points, there are these, there are these, these moments that happen that, that, that rekindle or refresh this desire to see Jesus, to understand the gospel. And so Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch have this moment of connection. Because see, what is the eunuch doing on his way back, on his trip home? He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He just couldn't get enough. Something moved him. I mean, he's in a chariot. I don't know how smooth of a ride that was. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. He's reading his Bible. I mean, it's literally a scroll that he's trying to flip through as the bumpy chariot is traveling along. And the Spirit says to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, I'm not going to really get into the details of all the weird kind of crazy things that happen in this story. But I think the picture is the chariot is just moving along. And there is Philip just jogging right beside it. Supernatural speed next to it, and he goes, hello, sir. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Now, isn't this the question that a lot of people ask about the Bible today? Hey, do you understand what you're reading? Do you, do you, do you get what you're reading? When I was a junior, I had to take chemistry. It did not go well for me. But I discovered a vast, important secret, that is your lab partner can do wonders. My lab partner is like one of the best cancer doctors in Toledo. He got me through chemistry class. I remember our chemistry teacher saying, chemistry is like a video game. You beat the levels and then you get to the prize at the end. I just remember thinking, this is literally the worst video game ever. Like you're going to go bankrupt if you're trying to sell that. But I do remember 3.14159265358979323846264338327950288497169, which is the first 54 digits of pi, which is what I did during chemistry. I just memorized pi because I was bored, and I didn't understand anything that was going on. And even now, when I recite those numbers, I don't, I don't even think I really know what pi is, or what it does, or why it's important. I don't understand it at all. And I certainly would not know how to apply pie to any type of situation. Sometimes we feel that way about scripture. We can recite verses. We have other people that we think, oh, they understand it for me. We don't know how to use it. We don't know how to apply it. Do you understand what you're reading? The word, uh, let me define the word understand for you. Um, to comprehend the true meaning of something so as to be able to apply it properly. To comprehend the true meaning of something so as to be able to properly apply it. Do you comprehend the true meaning, Ethiopian eunuch, so as to properly apply it on what you're reading? Here's what I want to do. For the rest of our time this morning, I want to show you what to me is the very clear process of biblical understanding, the process of understanding the scriptures as laid out in the scriptures, with a hope that these steps will help you as you seek to understand the teaching or the scriptures. Now, I know if there's a five-point sermon every week that that gives you 260 things to do at the end of the year. So I will say this. Hopefully not all five-point sermons are created equal. This is one that I hope you can go back to over and over and over because it will help you in the training process. The first part of understanding the scriptures is right here in the text. Do you understand what you are reading? The first step of understanding what you're reading is to actually read. And there are many people who say, I don't understand the Bible. I just don't understand. I don't understand the Bible. Have you actually sat down and read it consistently with any sort of plan? Because it's easy to just say, I don't understand. I don't understand. You won't until you actually read it. Now, pick a translation, by the way, that's helpful. Some of you grew up in a KJV environment, and to this day, you think you're sinning if you read anything other than KJV. And KJV is a fine translation, but no one talks like that. And there are certainly things that are bad translations that you should avoid. I read the ESV, the NLT is great, the NIV is great. Let's not be snobbish about this. Yes, avoid bad translations. If you have a question, I'd love to answer it for you about a particular one. But we don't need to be snobs. The point is to understand the scriptures, to comprehend it so as to be able to properly apply it. But none of it gets started until you actually sit down and read it. Do you understand what you're reading? So we start reading. This might be... The Daily Dig that we've been sending out at the beginning of every morning, by the way, the response for that has been overwhelming. If you want to sign up, let us know. We'll add you to it. Uh, That way, it gets sent directly to your inbox. And you know what's interesting? When we create little systems in our lives, we get better at things. You guys still make fun of me for my one-gallon water bottle, right? People do. But guess what? I drink more water. Why? Because I have a one-gallon water bottle. That's the only reason I drink more water. It's there. I might as well drink it. there are little systems that we can put in our lives that just help us do the things that we want to do, like getting an email every morning. Just makes it easier. Step one of understanding your reading, you actually have to read something. Step two, right here in the text. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. Do you understand what you're reading? I'm just looking for the verse. There it is. And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me, great question. How can I unless someone guides me? Now, the eunuch is actually absolutely correct. Now, let's not misunderstand the text. The solution to I need a guide is not Philip. Philip is just simply a vessel. See, it is very clear that the Holy Spirit created this divine appointment. And so the Holy Spirit sent Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. And so it is the Holy Spirit who is the one who's actually maneuvering everything underneath. We need a guide. And you know who the guide is? The Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit that is in me is in you, was in Peter, was in Paul, rose Christ from the dead. And the Holy Spirit is our guide. And the Holy Spirit is who helps you, follower of Christ, however old you are, to understand the scriptures. Now, how does he go about doing this? Well, let me just give you three ways. The first, I'll call it direct discernment. It's when you're reading the scriptures and you're reading your way through it, and all of a sudden you go, I understand that. I used to not understand it, but now I do understand it. Now, let me say this. The box that we have to live in when we're doing that is proper doctrine. That's the box. Because if we don't have proper doctrine, then we can look at Scripture and go, "I understand that, and it means this." And then you say it to somebody who has proper doctrine, and they go, "No, no, 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 no. Proper doctrine is the right box." I heard a pastor say it like this recently: "That's um, preaching without proper doctrine." when the recipient doesn't have proper doctrine, is like putting windows in a house that has no foundation. You're just like throwing windows on a pile of dirt. And so when you establish proper doctrine then, then the sermon fits in in the way that it can. When you read scripture without proper doctrine, they can get crazy. Google YouTube videos and Christian conspiracies and all sorts of weird things. Proper doctrine is the box that keeps us in. And then the Holy Spirit works its way through proper doctrine. See, here's one of the most dangerous things you can do. (laughs) Get on Google afterwards and say, help me understand this verse. Who knows where that's going to take you? Who knows? So proper doctrine helps us. So the the first way that the Holy Spirit is our guide is through direct discernment. That's available to you. That's available to you. It's not just for pastors or for special people. The Holy Spirit can speak through the text to you. The second way that the, the Holy Spirit tends to do this is right here in the story. Philip, he uses another person. And so whether that's um, a preacher or a teacher who has the spiritual gift of teaching or preaching, uh, whether that's in a class uh, with somebody who's who's got that proper doctrine, uh, or whether it's just a group of friends sitting around. I mean, I've shared this with you guys, that uh, every Tuesday I meet with like seven or eight people, and we talk through the text that I'm going to preach on. And I tell those guys every week, the moment you walk in here and you begin to say something, I own all of the rights of whatever comes out of your mouth. Otherwise, I'm going to have to quote you like every Sunday, trademarked. And w- they help me understand the scripture, and we talk about it, and the Holy Spirit works through that. That's why we've been pushing pushing midweek or life group or Bible studies, because then we get into the text together. And the Holy Spirit has this way of when there's three or four or five or ten or whatever it might be of of bringing new things, true things, proper things, together and helping us understand the text so that's the second way. And we see this one right in the text. And I think it's more fun this way, by the way. I think it's more fun to study the scriptures with other people. And to, uh, what do you think? And what do you think? And then what does proper doctrine teach us? And what conclusion can we arrive at? Third way, that the Holy Spirit can guide us. I'll just call it through trusted resources. <laughs> word there, trusted resources. I have some favorites. Matthew Henry is my favorite commentary. You can find that all over the internet. Matthew Henry. He's dead. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, also dead. Got great content out there. Um, Some of my other favorites are Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher um, at Westminster Chapel in the 50s, okay? Also dead. And then there's some living preachers that I love. Tim Keller, Alistair Begg. They do steal a lot of my content, but it's okay. Um, These are people that are trusted resources, who have good doctrine, who will help you understand. And again, one of the scarier things you can do is just Google something. You have no idea where that's going to take you. Who you're going to end up listening to. Three weeks later, you have an escape from your basement. You're just watching YouTube videos, trying to make crazy connections in the scriptures trusted resources, right, that help us understand. And this is how the Holy Spirit guides us. So what? So that we might understand what we're reading. So step one, we got to read it. Step two, you get a guide, the Holy Spirit. Step three, step three is my favorite. Now, the passage of the Scripture, by the way, uh, the passage of the Scripture, notice how the New Testament is talking about the Old Testament, which is why we disregard any foolishness about how the Old Testament is no longer necessary. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophecy say this about himself or about someone else? By the way, remember, it's the eunuch asking really good questions. Ask good questions when you're reading through the scriptures. You say, what's this about? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, the implication there being he could have done this with any text or many texts. He said, in beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What's step three of understanding the scriptures? It always goes back to the gospel it always goes back to Jesus. It always goes back to Jesus. That's how we understand it. Remember when you were growing up in Sunday school and every fourth week was on David and Goliath? Why? Because there are lots of cool parts of the story that you could point out. And so one week it was David had five stones and you need your five stones before you go into battle. And then the next week was David was prepared at an early age, and so make sure you prepare at an early age. Then the next week it was David couldn't wear Saul's armor. He had to wear his own, be your own person. And you would just keep hearing the story of David and Goliath, and they would continue to pull out these truths and these, these points of it. And at the end of it, oftentimes, you could even get people to stand and clap and cheer because there's something about being told that you are a hero who can slay a giant. That is very motivating. It's very motivating. Some of you were motivated a couple of days ago to do some New Year's resolutions. It's January 10th. How's that going? Motivation is quick. It hits and then it disappears. Motivational sermons are the same. They, they hit and they, they might prompt something for a moment, but, but motivation often disappears very quickly, as quickly as it hits. And so we'd hear these sermons on David and Goliath, and at the end of it, we're the hero who needs to do something. And if we do, then we'll conquer the giant, or we'll we'll, we'll do whatever it might be. And they're good sermons in, in a way, but it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. And it's it, it, we're told it right here. What was it supposed to be about? It's supposed to be about the good news about who? About Jesus. Was that written about him, or was it written about someone else? The entire scriptures, this is just an example, is written about someone else, and it's not written about you. It's written about Jesus. And the whole point of the story of David and Goliath is not that you are a hero who needs to slay a giant. The whole point of the story of David and Goliath is that there was a giant that held Israel captive and that an unlikely hero emerged who slayed the giant, cut off its head, defeating it forever so that it could no longer hold Israel in slavery. And all of the cowards of Israel who did nothing to participate in the victory got to live in the freedom that it defeated. That's the point. Let me say it more clearly. The point of David and Goliath is just to remind us that there was a giant that we were facing that we could never, ever defeat. And an unlikely hero emerged and slayed the giant for us, cutting off its head. And we, who did nothing to participate in the actual defeat of the enemy, get to live in the freedom of the victory. That's what it's about. You know why? Because that story is about Jesus. And that's what the Bible's about. And so the third step in understanding is you always bring it back to Jesus. Because that story, that story doesn't just motivate you. That story changes you. There is a giant of sin and death that I could never defeat. And Jesus defeated it for me. Whew. That'll change me. It should change you. Number four, fourth step. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. It's interesting that they came along some water in something that was called the desert place. So who knows that this water was there Before. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? What's step four? Step four is this. Proper understanding of Scripture always leads to application. Proper understanding of Scripture always leads to application. And so the eunuch looks, and he sees water, and he says, if this is really true about Jesus, If that verse is really about Jesus and what he's done for me, then I want to take the next step. I want to get baptized. I have to take the action step. A proper understanding of Scripture for you and I should produce some type of action. At the beginning, I said, let's define, understand, to comprehend the true meaning of something so as to know how to properly apply it. James says it this way in the Scriptures, faith without action is dead. Paul says it this way, knowledge puffs up, but love builds. Application on the other side. How do you know you have fully comprehended the scriptures? Or the scripture that you're studying, the scripture that you're reading, the sermon that you're hearing. How do you know that you have fully understood it? Because it has led to some type of action. That's how you know. It leads to some type of action. And the eunuch... Says, well, what prevents me from doing this? Great question. What prevents you? What prevents you? What prevents you when you hear a sermon on forgiveness? What prevents you when you hear, uh, when you read a scripture on your own about the way you should handle your body? What, what, what present, uh, prevents you? When you read a scripture on, on where your deep love is supposed to sit, what prevents you? Now, this guy, I think in the story it hints at something. The chariot is moving, right? It's still moving at this point. It's almost like a picture of how our lives just keep moving. And the guy who's got a busy job and he's a professional and he has to go take care of all of the queen's money could have just said, well, the chariot's got to keep moving here. Life's got to keep going because I got something I got to get back to. But what does he do? He commands the chariot to stop because what he realizes is that the next step that God wants him to take is more important in that moment than just continuing on. And sometimes what we need to do is pause for a minute and to go forth with what it is that God is calling us to change. What he's calling us to change. I have a friend who used to tell this story, he said he was reading, um, I think it's in First Timothy, a text, and it says this line. It says, um, physical health or activity is of some value. In essence, it says that. And then it goes on to say something else. And that scripture hit him like a ton of bricks in that moment. He lost 250 pounds out of direct motivation of that one line it hit him. And he said, God just hit me. He spoke to me. And it changed. I mean, it changed a lot after that too. See, in the end of all of this, he, the guy stops, he gets baptized, he takes the next step. And, and then at the very end is step five. And that is this, that it leads to rejoicing. It leads to rejoicing. See, the reason that we don't often uh, um, follow through with the application step is because we think it's going to lead us away from joy. We we think that that God is, uh, in the process of sanctifying us, in the process of changing what's going on, we think if I'm obedient, it's going to lead to a worse place. But obedience always leads to joy. Obedience always leads to joy. And, and and when we properly understand the scripture, I mean at this point now if we're like if, if the stage is just gonna represent what I've talked about today, when you actually read something. When you read it, when you take in the the scriptures and you read it, and then you pray through it, and then you begin to understand it because the Holy Spirit, either through direct discernment or another person or a trusted resource, helps you to begin to understand it. And as you're doing that, you point it back to Jesus, and you see the gospel in it, and then it changes you, and then it comes out, and something comes out different on the other side. And then you get over here on the other side of all of that, and there's joy, because obedience always leads to joy. And all along the way here, there's ways to like, to, to like mess this process up. And like the easiest way is to just never open it because then it'll never get started. And then, and then there's a, another way along the way where, where instead of letting the Holy Spirit guide you through the scriptures, you let some crazy thing guide you through the scriptures. Or another way to do it is to read the scriptures, and then you begin to read through it, but instead of making it about Jesus, you just make it about you. Or or another way, then, is, is if you made it all the way through that, then you get to the point, and then you see, okay, if all of this is true, then I should go now and do this. And you go, yeah, but I don't want to do that. But if you make it all the way through, if you journey down on the other side, is joy. And what if every morning, when you open up your scripture, every Sunday, when you hear a sermon, every other time you download a podcast from a trusted reader, what if that was a moment like it was for the Philippian, or for the eunuch, where God would change the direction of your life? I mean, imagine this guy. He's going to head back now To Ethiopia, high ranking position in a country that doesn't follow the same God as a disciple of Jesus. We don't know the rest of the story of the eunuch, but we do know that the Ethiopian church was one of the strongest in early church history. And many people attested to this conversion. What if you were one understanding away? from unlocking the gospel in your heart in such a way that it finally produced that joy you've been looking for. And that every day when you open this, there's the opportunity for that. I won't even have to say what if because it's available to you. And I hope this process of understanding will help you as you engage a journey with us in some of the things that we've made available to you the different classes and midweek and all of that. Let's pray. God, thank you that you help us to understand what we're reading. And that when we do and when the gospel sinks in and when it changes us, oh, that it always leads to joy. And so, Father, I pray this week, I pray this week that you would help each of us to have a moment where we understand the scriptures like we haven't before. That as we open it up, maybe for the first time in a long time on our own, oh, that your Holy Spirit would just capture that moment. And Father, if our desire... If our desire is to be disciples of Jesus, then this process is crucial to that happening. So help us to keep getting better at it, like a a muscle that we're training. Help us to keep getting better at understanding your scripture. Thanks for helping us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connectcard. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.